Hello and welcome back to the Business of Show Business podcast with me, your host, Jamie Boddy. Unpacking the skills needed for the entertainment and creative industries and celebrating those already in them. Today, I'm joined by Matt Hemley, who is the news editor of The Stage newspaper. Founded in 1880, if you live in the UK, you would have read a copy of The Stage newspaper. It has reviews, news, auditions and so much more. It's a fab interview and we go behind the pen and paper to find out what makes a review, how entertainment journalism can help a show or help an individual. Now let's get on with the episode. Today on the Business of Show Business podcast, I'm joined by the news editor of The Stage newspaper, and quite possibly Gloria Estefan's world number one fan, Matt Hemley. How are you, Matt? Uh, good, thank you. I'm, I'm glad you got the important piece of information there. Exactly. I thought everyone probably knows you through your love of Gloria if they've <laughs> not read your article, so we have to get it in. Love it. Love it. She, she follows me everywhere, that woman. <laughs> um, the Stage newspaper, such a leading source of insight information and help in the theatre industry we have quite a lot of listeners actually who are international so could you in a nutshell dive into the stage newspaper and kind of what it represents to the UK yeah sure so it's been around since 1880 and it's the trade newspaper for theatre so we cover all aspects of theatre and all the people working in theatre and it is very much for them. So it could be about directors, the writers, the actors, designers, anybody who has uh, works in theatre, even you know, PRs, across the whole board. And we are, as I say, we're an industry newspaper. So we provide news, features, interviews and reviews all relating to theatre and live arts. Um, and it's been owned by the same family since 1880. So it's quite amazing. That is amazing. And I think anyone who has studied the arts in the UK. I remember when I was graduating on a Thursday to buy it to look at like the auditions and I think it's so ingrained in um, UK entertainment culture. Yeah totally I I did the same because I did an acting degree before I went into journalism and I would go and get it every Thursday in Smith's or you know everywhere else and and I, I, I loved it so when I graduated from drama school and decided that I wanted to do journalism and started training in journalism I always had my eye on the stage thinking if one day if I can merge these two passions that would be brilliant and it happens I'm, I'm delighted. And I think one of the great things about the entertainment coverage of the stage is it's showbiz but not showbiz if you get me like I think quite often when you see a showbiz reporter role it's a bit more for the um pop culture, who wore what, what's trending in TV, well I think the stage you do, you do quite exposing pieces as well as press releases, interviews and show news. So as you said you started off as an actor yourself, when was it then that you realised acting actually wasn't for you? Because I think that's quite a big, not struggle, but a lot of performers when they want to try something new it's hard to actually be like I need to give this space to see where it goes. Yeah I think I actually didn't give it very long. I, I left uh, a drama school called Bretton Hall, which is up in Yorkshire, and I, I went straight into theatre and education work for a company called Cragrats. And I did that probably for like just under a year. And then I remember having conversations with my parents saying, you know, this is going to be really hard, like, you know, the actual kind of making this work on a full time basis and, and not worrying about when work is going to come in. Um, so I started then to discuss my other opportunities, uh, other like, options and Journalism has always been a passion of mine. When I was a, when I was a kid, I set up a, a newspaper at my primary school and also for my swimming club. So I've always loved performing 
and writing. Um, so I decided pretty swiftly to do, so it was less than a year afterwards, after like, graduating from drama school, went and did an NC, what's called an NCTJ, which is the kind of official qualification for journalism. Um, I did that and then went straight into work on my local newspaper. So yeah, I only gave acting probably just under a year really. And I think I realized pretty swiftly that it wasn't gonna be for me. Um, and I think, well, the NCTJ is also no joke because that's what I did as well. And like going back into that classroom environment, having, we learn as performers, you learn physically, don't you? You see, you do. So then go and sit in that class. That in itself was yeah. a challenge. And with news, what constitutes as theatre news then? Because it does encompass press releases, breaking news, um, but then, as we said, also some more hard-hitting journalism. So what is a typical day or week like for you at the stage? But it's really interesting because every week is so different. And I know you mentioned press releases, and of course, a lot of stuff comes our way through press releases, but we do, there's a team of three news reporters here, and we do try to really kind of get into the gritty, uh, you know, the gritty stuff going on in theatre. So press releases obviously are presented to you from a PR company, and that's what they want you to see. But often there are many more things going on in theatre that you have to kind of dig a bit more for or you hear from sources that are happening. So, you know, it could be problems at drama schools. It could be issues of like diversity, which is a big one that's coming up at the moment. Um, we just we just have to keep our ear to the ground. Twitter, I've got to say, has become a very good source for spotting stories and also kind of gauging the mood of something. So keeping our eye on social media and seeing what people are talking about is a really good thing at the moment for us as journalists. Um, so like I say, every week is very different, but we, we just have to keep our ear to the ground and, and, and cover all the issues that come up and, and they are varied. And with, um, you've touched on their digital journalism, it's, you obviously have a print, your publication comes out each week, but you have your online publication. You don't have to go for that print deadline because it can be up all the time, but it almost gives that always on culture. Do you find it hard to switch off or detach yourself from work, Matt, to, all right, this is Matt at home, yeah. relaxing? I do, actually. I do. I think... I think you're right. I think the very nature of the fact that it's kind of almost it's almost rolling at the moment means that like you can be sitting at home and if something happens in an evening or over the weekend that you feel like you have to that can't wait till the next day you kind of have to jump on it because it doesn't happen very often but there are often things that what well, to say I just contradict myself it doesn't happen very often but there are sometimes stories that happen out of hours that you feel like you, we should really kind of jump on and, and get up straight away basically to maximize the reach of that story and to make sure that we try and be the first across something as well you know if we think that other people are going to jump on something then we'll try and get there and do it first um i do yeah i i'm i found it easier i found it, i've got a bit better at switching off since becoming a dad about four and a four and a bit years ago so like you know obviously I have a child to put to bed and read stories to so it kind of changes your whole outlook um but I am always I do think I constantly check my emails and constantly scrolling Twitter for all the kind of things that might be something we should be keeping an eye on so yeah not not great at switching off but then I also love what I do so it's not it's not a hardship <laughs> and I think you've cultivated such a strong personal brand as well whether that was intentional or not and I think people want they want Matt at the press event. It's not just the news editor of the stage that kind of layers on a little bit, doesn't it? To be like, even if you're not working, you're kind of on the clock if you're at a press event because you know everyone there. Well, people probably expect you to do a tweet about the show or the event you're at. Yeah, 
I hadn't really, I mean, I, I guess I, don't, I hadn't thought about that, but I, I always like, I always felt it's a privilege to be invited to any opening night and I never take it for granted that I'm there. Um, but I do have a platform on, on, on Twitter, which is kind of my main um, output, I would say on social media. And that's where I, I think probably you're referring to like, you know, my voice that I, I have developed. I think actually that came, the, the, the kind of voice part of me, <laughs> sounds a bit silly, um, came mainly during the pandemic. I really, I feel like when everything shut down in March last year and things really started to go from bad to worse for theatre, I think I found this kind of campaigning element to my tweets, which I didn't know existed inside me. I'd never think of myself as political or, um, you know, an activist as such, but I just felt like there are some things that needed to be said at certain times that we needed to, you know, put to the industry or to buoy people up and to, you know, to keep people going. And so I kind of started doing that. And I think that maybe generated a bit more of a, a following for me, but yeah, I hadn't really thought about it too much. I just, I do enjoy Twitter and, you know, some of it is very like, um, serious stuff about theatre and another can be like, as you say, it could be about Gore fans. So it's, it's <laughs> not like I've got a, a, a common tone. I think it, it fluctuates. <laughs> but I think it's very um, authentic to you, which is good. It's not like you're putting on an act, which is lovely. And I think through the pandemic, a lot of people's voices gained more volume because superficially, I think we look at our industry as those we see on stage, but there are so many people behind it, so many cogs turning that bring a show to life from the initial design, choreography, to the stage managers, box office, journalists, PR, press, marketing teams. There's so many people. And I think those platforms now are growing. It's not to say like you're, you might not consider yourself an influencer, but what I mean is that like you guys, are, you're gaining more clout, which I think is good. With that being said though, there must be some, not cons to your job, but there's times when you have to break quite a hard story or someone comes to you with a element that is quite sensitive. So you have to possibly do it anonymously. How does that work? Because obviously it's not always spandex dance breaks and ABBA songs, is it? No, no, not at all. <laughs> I do like that element too, obviously. <laughs> um, no, not at all. I think you're right. That in, in, in fact, recently, obviously, that, uh, there have been a couple of stories that have been quite delicate and um, it just requires us to handle those stories sensitively and from where I'm concerned, if I'm talking to someone who's come to me with some sensitive information and they've asked to be anonymous, always obviously respecting that. Um, and, in, and I kind of try to, um, I try to the whole way through a very sensitive story, keep in touch with those people, let them know where we are with the story, um, keep them informed of any updates and when we're about to publish and so nothing comes as a surprise especially because they've often come you know it's so scary to put yourselves forward to to expose something and they put in a lot of trust in you so you have to kind of take you've got to kind of keep that trust and maintain it and that's that's the job of the journalist as well to like you know to make sure they feel comfortable the whole way through and that you you keep their respect and, and trust. But yeah, there have been a couple of those stories recently, which have been, you know, and it's, ne it's never easy, not for the people talking to you and for the, the writer too, because I think there's a, uh, maybe a, a, an idea that journalists are all very thick skinned and that we, we can take anything that's thrown at us. But, you know, we will often go home at the end of the day, having spoken to someone about something very serious or, um, difficult and it, it can stay with you it's not it, that's quite hard to shake off so I, 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 I certainly don't think we're all kind of like ruthless and hard-hitting journalists I think you know especially in theatre we're all quite sensitive really 
Yeah, and I think that's, you hit the nail on the head there. There seems to be kind of a overall, like, a lot of journalists are tarnished with the same brush and people might not realise that there are um, governing bodies like IPSO or Ofcom for broadcast that you adhere to, but not all publications actually are members of that. So it's it's hard, isn't it? Because again, that's the thing with social media now. You're inadvertently put your head up into the firing range, don't you, because of what you do. But that's a byproduct of you being a journalist is the fact that people can get a rebuttal straight away. They can tweet you to be like, no, that's wrong or I don't agree. Yeah. Yeah, I think, yeah, I definitely think with social media, that's the problem with it. Like, it's very, you're very quick to react sometimes and often are only reacting to a headline or um, one, one, you know, a tweet, but you're not actually delving into the story. And quite often what we find is we'll put a story out there with a headline on and everybody will pile onto that and quote that, but they've not actually read the content of the story. And you kind of just wish that if they had, you know, if they had, they might see things a bit more differently rather than just jumping on something um, quickly. And I, like I said, that's, I think that's, that's social media generally. We're, we're very quick to react and it probably wouldn't hurt us every now and then to take a step back and think about what we're actually saying. And, and whether you would say those things to people if you were in a room with them, that's the other thing. I think a lot of the time it's very easy to sit behind the keyboard and fire something off. But if you were actually in a room and had to say that to someone, would you say it? Uh, probably not. I hope you're enjoying the episode so far. Matt had to step away from the busy newsroom to record this episode, which I'm so grateful for. Later on in the episode, he does share his social media handles. And if you are enjoying the episode, head over to your streaming platform of choice and leave your review. Now back on with the show. Completely, and social media, it becomes such an echo chamber, doesn't it? And people jump on that bandwagon, but yes, Note from the news editor: Read the article first. <laughs> yeah, please read the article. I know we have a we have a we have a um, subscription, like you know, so, so we do require people to to log on. But we have three articles free uh, each week, so you know you can. Um, it's not like you, you know, you don't have to pay like to read. You can actually just it's just a registering first. I know that causes a lot of contention with people, but. Well, yeah, and I think what's interesting about the stage is because you cover such a broad spectrum of the flashy news item or the West End release, but then you do like disability in West End theatre venues and any allegations and so on. So it's it's not just like a blog where you go on, read one news story, and then you're lost in like YouTubers and theatre influencers. There's like hard-hitting journalism. So you might not need to read more than three articles a week, but if you want to, there's some really juicy long-form journalism in there which is great what for you makes a news story then because I get quite a lot of listeners on the show who are at different points in their career and they may have a show their own one-person show or they might be um, segueing more into a marketing role and they want more press coverage for a show or production and obviously there's different teams at the stage obviously your news there's features opinions but for you what makes a good um, news story or what advice would you give to someone who maybe wants a bit more press coverage whether it's for themselves or a production yeah sure I mean so production taking production to start with they are there are so many releases about productions and we have to be very uh, choosy I guess about which ones we cover because we could spend our days just writing about productions opening left right and centre so in terms of productions we tend to select kind of you know ones with uh, we, we basically try and think about what our readers are really interested in and 
what's likely to make them click through to a story. So we, we you know, we're, we're, there's, this morning, for example, there's been lots of casting about Moulin Rouge, the musical, Curve in Leicester is doing Billy Elliot, the musical, and that's going to be the first time Billy Elliot has been done differently in a different production since it was done in the West End. So that is a great angle. You know, the fact that someone comes up and say, look, it's not just Billy Elliot, it's a new version is immediately interesting and that would make people click through. Um, but in terms of other news stories, uh, we just have to think about, like I say a bit earlier, I guess, guess tapping into the trends and like what people are talking about and then thinking about that in terms of stories. So like if it is about diversity or a disability or if there's an issue at drama school, you're always thinking about um, how read, what's going to make that most interesting for a reader. So we're just always thinking about the snappiness of it, I guess. And, yeah. and what's going to make people really switch on something? Because you could write about almost anything every day if you wanted to, but we just have to be selective. And I think instinctively, when, once you've been doing this job as long as I have now, because I've been at the stage 14 years, I think you, it's very hard to say, but you just, you just know something comes your way and you just be like, this is, this is a really good story. And you just know that people are going to be interested in it. And I think that comes from loving fear to myself. I'm able to put myself into a position of if I was reading this would I would I like this story and be like yeah I would I absolutely would yeah. and that, I think that's where it, I think for me that's where a lot of it where it comes from being able to kind of understand what people are interested in and having that shared interest as a, a theatre fan first and foremost if that makes sense yeah and I think a really important takeaway there is if someone's pitching a story whether it's to yourself or a different publication is to think of the publication's audience as you said there you know your audience you are the audience as well and I'm sure you see it quite often so you might get a pitch from someone that actually doesn't align with the audience or what they would want or the the angles difference I think anyone listening that's if you do pitch it's know who you're pitching to and why you're pitching as opposed to just a, a blanket yeah release exactly have a look at the content that they've already put out and you know we are very for example our our nearest rival is probably what's on stage but actually they're very different because they're providing for a commercial audience they're providing for the people who want you know basically theatre goers whereas I said at the beginning the stage is very much an industry point of view so we are writing about it from the point of view of all the people who work in it and that's what we've always got to keep in our minds so why are we why are we writing this particular story for the people that read our publication and that's what we always try and kind of question when we're writing something. Yeah, no, that's great. Because I, when I work a lot with clients on their social media strategy, it's like, why are you doing this? Who is it for? Just because you love something doesn't mean someone else will. So like, where is the demand? Where does it fit? So I think that's a very good bit of information you've given for anyone who's looking to promote the show. Because I'm sure come fringe season, people need help with that. Because if they're doing it all by themselves or in a small team, they don't know how to get the word out. Yeah, exactly. It is very hard. And that's why... You know, PR companies are very good at picking out an angle and, and sending that on. Um, but what, what I would say about the stages too, we're not, as you said, you know, you said too, we're not just a newspaper. We have features, we have opinions, we have a section called Q&A, which is where we interview um, people across the whole sector about their job. So if it didn't fit in a news story, there's always the opportunity of saying, I'd like to pitch it for a Q&A. I think, I think myself or the person I'm working with would be great for that because X, Y, and Z, and you know, the Q and A's, for example, can be any, it could be a writer, could be an actor, could be a director, could be a choreographer. And um, that gives us a lot of scope to cover a lot of people. So what I would say when I'm thinking specifically about the stage 
is that check out all the sections. Like, you know, you don't just have to narrow it down to one. It could be that you're, you, you could be looking at a number of ways to, to pitch, you know, different stories for different areas of the paper. Is there any piece of advice that you wish young Matt had known or something now that's really helped steer you along the way that you're like, you tell budding actors, journalists, creatives? Oh, well, I'm interesting. I mean, that's a, that's a very difficult question for me. I don't, I don't know what if I would tell myself, yeah, I don't know what I would tell young Matt. I'd maybe, maybe just to keep going because it worked out for me. Like the, I got the job that I really wanted. And I think there were times I did like a local newspaper for about three years. I moved on to um, a couple of other real life magazines um, and then went to another industry newspaper which covered TV. And I was very unhappy in that job. And I didn't, it didn't work for me and I didn't find what I was good at in it. And, you know, and I was, I, I struggled really badly in that year. And that was just before I got the job at the stage. So, I mean, those kind of experiences could make you just go, oh, do you know what, I'm just going to give up and go and try something else. But luckily I kept plugging away at the stage and sending letters and saying, if an opportunity presents itself, would you, would you interview me? And eventually the editor wrote back and said, there is an opportunity, do you want to come in and be interviewed? And so it paid off. So I think I'd just, I mean, even though I did, I think I would tell myself to keep persevering because it pays off in the end. And even if you have the jobs that you might not necessarily love at the time, they all, they're all valuable. They all teach you something about yourselves. Every single job that I've done in journalism has given me something. Um, you know, that I still use today, you know, so they're all valid and just keep going. And I love that, that you almost create your own opportunities. Like you said, you just kept emailing the stage up or writing, updating on where you are in your career and it eventually paid off. You, obviously, you didn't hound them, but you, you obviously kept that communication. Yeah. The career progression then with journalism, obviously with acting and performing, dancing, singing, acting, the career progression is, there's not a blueprint because whether you could be a leading person and it makes sense to be ensemble cover lead but for a lot of people that might not be their trajectory and you could be in the west end or filming a netflix show and then the next week you're unemployed you're back to the hustle what is the career progression of a journalist then again i know it's probably not set in stone because there's lots of different routes but is there kind of like a grassroots then that you would say is on paper the progression of a journalist um I think the, the way that I did it tends to be the way that a lot of people have done it. So I mentioned the NCTJ, which was a year, in my case, a year long course. And then from there, I went into a local newspaper in Watford, which is where I'm from. Um, and I continue, continue to work basically on that. Uh, you're still studying essentially, because you're working then towards the next part of your journalism qualification, which is called the NCE. And I got that through being at the, uh, the Watford Observer. You basically build up a portfolio of work, which is then submitted, and eventually you get your national certificate for journalism. So then you're kind of a fully fledged journalist. And um, after that, that's when I like, started taking other jobs and like working my way up to what I really wanted to do. But I would say, um, alongside that work experience, like every Friday uh, when I was on my NCTJ course, I would go and do work experience somewhere. And in my case, it was some of it was at Watford Observer. That's how I kind of had a door in when a job became available. Um, but I also did stuff at the Sunday Times and um, various magazines. I think just try to get as much experience as you can um, and to try different elements of the writing. Like I was writing reviews of films. I was writing local news stories. I didn't just try to hone in on one thing. I tried to keep it quite broad. 
what I would say about local newspapers as a starting point is that they're really good training grounds for kind of covering everything that might be thrown at you in journalism. Um, so that that's the route I would say most people, well, not most people, but that's a kind of common route into journalism. Yes, because I guess it's, you need that byline, don't you? So people can, it's almost like you can tell me how good you are, but you almost have to show how good you are to like, it's the same as being a performer and building your CV. It's, but it's more maybe of a visual um, portfolio. Yeah. Is there any, especially if we stick in the world of entertainment journalism and lifestyle entertainment journalism, so there's lots of different publications, some with different angles. Would that go against anyone, say, if someone has worked in more of a showbiz gossip style and then they want to get more into hard-hitting journalism? You as a journalist, do you think the more experienced, the better? Or is there a little bit of, oh, that's not considered a good publication or their writing style is not the ethos of this? Would that ever come into play? Um, I'm not sure that it would, because I think the skills of a journalist, a good journalist, are kind of transferable to different publications so like, like I said I've done quite a lot before I came to the stage and even if it even if it's not along the lines of what I'm doing now it, all of it's helped get me where I am now um, I don't know that you should worry too much I, I don't think that you should sit there worrying that if you take a job here you're never going to get out of it I mean as a good example I I remember when I went and took a job on a real life a women's weekly magazine and I remember thinking you know if I do this am I going to be just then a feature writer for a women's weekly magazine is the hard news gone for me but it never did because I I trained in it and you know I'd studied it and I did it on the local newspaper before that and then I just went off and diverted a little bit and then got another job which brought me back to the news writing so I don't think that you're you should worry too much about that I think you can always find a way back in if you go off a little uh, down a different track and I don't think you should worry about the the tone of different magazines necessarily because you know they've all got their audiences and they've all got their place um and hopefully a good employer will just recognize it's you that they're looking at and not who you who you worked for before that's a really good sentiment because i think anyone listening whether because again even as a performer you might think if i take this tour away or this cruise ship will that take me out the run-in or i've had people on the show who have worked in pr and video and it's like if they work for if they put all their eggs in one basket, will that cut them off? But as you said, you're, you take aspects from every job and it kind of builds and helps you get to the next one. Yeah, exactly. So let's, we can't let you go without touching on Gloria Estefan and your <laughs> love of her and on your feet. Yeah. Where did that come from? Gloria Estefan? Yes. Love of it. Well, I was about, I'm 42 now, but I was, when I was 11, my dad... Um, loved a song of hers called Go Away, um, which she wrote about Fidel Castro in Cuba. Um, and I bought it for my dad for his birthday and ended up loving it so much that I basically stole it back and, um, <laughs> and kept on hold of it. And then I discovered this amazing music and woman. And I was just like, I want everything she'd ever done. So I went and I devoured her back catalogue. And then from that point onwards, bought and uh, listened to everything she'd ever done. And like, I'm proud to say that in 30 years of being a fan, I've now got to know her. Like I never in my wildest dreams, I never thought that would happen. But now I can I can say that we we know each other and you know my stalking paid off. I, I say that <laughs> say that lightheartedly. I clearly I didn't stalk her, but you know, I did I did go to every basically like event I could get to to meet her. And now that you know, now she she's a very lovely woman and very accommodating and very sweet. 
And you've been interviewed about that for public. So is it weird for you as a journalist to then be on the other side of it when like people have wanted to get quotes from you about that? Or it might be because her, obviously her musical on your feet and they might ask you for that punchy quote or a little yeah. review. Is it weird for you then being on the other side as a journalist to be like, oh, it was there was tw- twice uh, twice it happened. The Guardian did a piece on Superfans, and then the I did something for the Eye on the opening of On Your Feet, and um, it was strange mainly because I was interviewed by someone else for the Eye. I wrote it, which was fine. For the Guardian, I was interviewed, and I did wonder every before it came out. I was like, "Oh my gosh, what have they done with my words?" I I, I got a glimpse of what it must feel like when you've been interviewed by me um, and thinking what is it going to be like what because I didn't get to see the copy before it came out and I was thinking is he going to make me look completely crazy um, you know I, I was just quite nervous about what what how I was going to come across but thankfully they uh, they were very good and they were very true to what I said which you know which was all you can hope for when you're interviewed by journalists I guess I love it I love it. And I, I'm quite proud that like she's become as big a part of me as my love for theatre. <laughs> and it's probably also helped your again not your celebrity status but your because you're 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 practicing what you preach you're in entertainment you love it you immerse yourself and educate yourself in what is happening so I think it's lovely when it's like you don't just work at a theatre publication because it was the only job around it's like actually you absolutely love it yeah no I've been at the stage 14 years now um and I just I always say that I can't imagine a better job for me because you know, most days it doesn't feel like work and I know that sounds like a cliche and a bit like sentimental or whatever but it's genuinely true I'd like most days it's like because I love it so much and I love what I'm writing about and I love the subject matter it just feels like a massive privilege like you know writing about all these amazing people and the people that work in it and when it's been through such a bad time like it has this year it's really it's felt kind of nice that people have looked to the stage in some respects as the kind of when everything was happening closing down things were shutting I think we our place in the industry suddenly became more elevated. And that was a really nice feeling that we, we were part of the industry as much as, you know, anything else. It felt like the stage was really embedded at that point. And I mean, I think it still is, but just in those months, it felt even more important. And, then, and that made me like the most proud, I think, in, in 14 years. But yeah, it's great. Oh, no, I love that. And I'm, in a second, I'm going to ask for your, um, your Twitter handle so people can find you. But if there is someone who's a budding PR specialist or someone who wants coverage, how would you say best to go about contacting you? So obviously, because you do have a print publication online, do you like pitches first thing on a Monday? Do you like your emails to be three sentences? Wham, bam. Is there any kind of inside tip you could give to someone who's listening who thinks, yes, how do I maximise this? I think like I think concise emails are often very good because, you know, you get a lot and you haven't got time to scroll through things. So just keep it concise, tell us why we should be writing about you or what's interesting about your story and keep that very snappy. Um, but we, we have, like you said at the start, we have kind of a daily news output. So we have two deadlines a day. So in that respect, we're not bound by, we'd prefer to get an email at this time because it's ongoing. We have two deadlines a day and news is thrown up on site at, at both points of those days. And then for the, for the print edition, we go to press on a Tuesday. So I would say if, you, if you're thinking about the print edition, you know, the earlier the better before the Tuesday when we go to press, because obviously we've laid out pages by that point. So come Friday of, of like where we are today, I'm thinking about what's going to go on what page. And I have to start filling the pages with content. Um, and only the things that will change might be the bigger story. So 
I'll have an idea of what's going to be on the front, but if something massive happens, that's where there'll be a change. But it's unlikely I'll be able to start swapping stuff around on, on the later pages of the newspaper. They'll probably be more fixed by today. If you take annual leave, how do you feel about releasing the reins for someone else to take control of that? How is that? Because it's your little baby. Yeah, that's so funny. Well, funny you said that. I took a year off work for um, when I went on adoption leave. And I remember thinking at the time, oh my gosh, I'm like, I'm giving this job that I've loved and worked so hard for and I'm putting it in someone else's hands and I'm going to lose my identity and I'm never going to come it's never going to be the same and then of course that year went so quickly and then by the end of that year I was like oh my gosh I can't believe I've got to leave my daughter and I'm going back to work um you, you can worry about things like that but I'm so lucky at the stage that with the team of reporters that I have that Georgia Snow who's our chief reporter if I'm not there she takes steps up into my role and she's absolutely brilliant and um, I trust her 100% to look after, you know, the, the, the new section. Um, she's brilliant. She knows what she's doing. So I don't worry about that anymore. Maybe in the early days, I might feel a bit more protective. But really now, I'm just very happy to have a break and, um, and spend some time with the family. So, you know, I think your perspective shifts. So like I said, when you, at the beginning, when you've got a kid, I think your perspective shifts a bit. So you stop to worry about things like that and get a grip. <laughs> yeah. And I, again, I love that you prioritised, you took that leap to prioritise yourself, your family and what you wanted. Because again, our industry can be so um, tunnel vision sometimes, whether you mean it to be or not, because it is so non-stop. So I love that. Twitter, where can people find you? You're hilarious on there. You give good updates about your family, actually, and how your little what? one loves Frozen or may wake you up with a glorious song in the morning. Yeah. Hilarious. <laughs> I think hilarious is a stretch, but thank you, Jamie. Um, <laughs> It's just at Matt Hemley, all one word, that's it. Fab, I'll put that in the show notes. And obviously, if you're listening, download the stage, buy a copy, um, even if you just do the three articles a week. I think it's really insightful and it's a nice all-round look at our industry and helps pull you out of maybe what you focus on normally. So thank you so much for your time, Matt. Oh, thank you, Jamie. It's been great. A massive thank you to Matt for taking time to be on the podcast. He showed us a different side to the industry, but a side that is so important. And I hope you learned lots. Go and give him a follow on social media and pick up a copy of the Stage newspaper. I'll be back next week with another episode.